Brands, we need to talk. It's time to start texting your customers. Yotpo, the leading e-commerce marketing platform, has the most advanced SMS marketing solution to reach customers where they are on their phones. Yotpo enables brands to build unbeatable targeted SMS experiences to create customer connections and drive revenue fast. Visit yotpo.com, that's Y-O-T-P-O.com, and get personal with SMS marketing today. Welcome to All Killer No Filler. I'm Eric Dick and it is Thursday and today we have gathered the Pilot House creative team uh, to discuss some of the members of the Pilot House creative team to discuss what makes a really highly effective creative department or what what's the whole high level creative strategy that we're using to scale brands to scale our clients. Kyle, the word that you throw around a lot, we've used it. I've heard uh, you know most marketers in this audience will have heard this word uh, and the concept is that of a flywheel. What is a creative flywheel and why is it critical to success with D2C direct marketing? Well, Eric, that's a great question. Let me collect my thoughts here for a second. If you look at the term flywheel as a whole, it is something that allows an engine to carry forward through disturbances, um, which creates an efficiency and momentum. And so we're all about momentum. And this idea actually started with Cam. You drew a little diagram back in the day about how our creative team works. And in that diagram, it was round and it was circular and it's perpetual in, in how it was visualized. And since then, I've been saying a flywheel a lot. So in our case, a flywheel really is driven by the creative teams uh, not being an endpoint or a starting point in our creative process uh, of performance marketing, but you know anything, website design, whatever it is, they're actually involved in the decision-making and a part of the data analysis, which cuts out the middleman essentially and feeds the machine, which is the buyer or the algorithms depending on the platform. And so in our case, basically simplified, we've just cut out the bullshit of having to go back and forth with creative teams. And we put them in the pocket and looking at data and supporting our, our buyers that way. So even just by having your creative team dialed into the data in a way where they're not just creating things based on write-ups in, in ClickUp or, or Asana or something like that, where they're actually reaching into the campaigns, looking at performance. So that aspect there creates more momentum than otherwise, is what you're saying. It saves time and it pushes things forward. I will have a correction. There, there is a separate uh, group that we call content managers that are on the same skis. So if our internal analogy is that the buyers and the content managers are on the same skis. So the, the left and the right brains of two different people are working together to go downhill with uh, you know cheeks flapping in the wind on the same skis. And so that's really the secret sauce to how our creative team is functioning at such high velocity. Beautiful image you put out there. Cam, did you have anything to add <laughs> considering you, you were sort of the one visualizing this to begin with? Did you, do you have anything to add to the creative flywheel concept? No, that was a great hitchy summary. <laughs> I don't have anything to add to that. Um, yeah, I think like the the content manager role at Pilot House has really enabled us to break down walls a little bit. They are both living in the ad account, 
collaborating with our media buyers, but at the exact same time, collaborating with the talented designers that we have to help bring those ideas into reality. And I know Hitchy said this before, but like you want to treat your creative team or your actual designers like as if they're media buyers. So we really try and do that where our content managers understand what we need creatively in accounts and help develop angles alongside the client. But unless you can effectively communicate that to the people who are designing the content, there's always going to be a bit of a disconnect or you're going to have to go through rounds and rounds and rounds of revisions until you can get it there. So if you can shorten that process and push content back into accounts and you can shorten that loop, you're just going to have more momentum. And that's why that role is created. One more comment on that, which I kind of just picked up on there from Kim's summary of my summary. (laughs) We also talk like the job of our media buyers is to stay ahead of the client. And the job of a content manager is to stay ahead of the media buyers. And the job of the creative fulfillment team is to stay ahead of the content managers. And if everyone's doing this right, this momentum is like it's perpetual energy, like it's unstoppable. And I think that's kind of like Ken and and Jordan and Ange and and the rest of the creative team have done a really good job making that happen this year. If we wanted to back up a little bit more, I love this concept of the flywheel. But what are the other, I know this is, we recently, a couple issues ago, we actually put out a PDF uh, which we can link to the show notes of this all killer, no filler. But it basically like broke down uh, some of our key strategies, some of our key mindset when it comes to building high performance creative. What were those two most important principles aside from the flywheel that we kind of operate with in order to keep building high performance creative? So two concepts, well, one, two that we talk about all the time behind the scenes and I guess in front of the scenes in, in Pilotos, which is data before eco. And like from day one, when we interview anyone and I can speak directly to the people that we interview on the creative side for sure. But we ego is something that we talk about because um, it often comes up in creative conversations or any kind of like art form. But because we have this environment where we're creating content based off of the needs and the data that live in account, you just straight up cannot have an ego in this space. So you're bound to miss like there's just shots that are going to miss and it happens all the time. And, you know, something that we talk about early on with, even uh, with every single hire and client. A win is, you know, may not last that long at the velocity we're creating and the spend that we're putting through these things. A win may not last that long. Totally. Whenever possible, we, we let data guide our creative decisions or content decisions and media buying decisions um, versus whether it be ego on our side or the client side. We try to align those based off of the data that we see in accounts. So data versus ego, that's the first principle. What's the second? Data plus speed plus quality equals velocity. And velocity is one of our five values, which we're not going to talk about today. But the idea being speed is one thing. Quality is important, as important. But there's no point in doing either without knowing the data. And if you put those all together, we call it velocity. And what does that actually look like in terms of, you know, it's funny, I know we're working with Pilot House on the lead generation for D2C, and we're not spending a huge amount to acquire new subscribers. We're spending money every month to acquire, we're growing every month. But at the same time, I'm kind of blown away by the effort the team puts in on the creative side, the number of concepts that they're putting out on a weekly basis, the number of variations of those concepts. Like practically, what does velocity look like for a scaling Pilot House client? Yeah, I think... uh... You know, like you can you can make up any arbitrary number you want on that. Uh, a lot of it just kind of comes down to your budget and you're willing to test, right? It's 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 a hungry beast and you've got to keep it fed um, constantly. And that could mean that you know if 
if you pull this arbitrary number of five pieces a week and five flop, um, you have to come back and learn from that data and like kind of analyze what's, what's going to lead to that success and maybe what is, uh, what led to that failure. And that comes kind of down to that ego thing. Just back onto the flywheel point, it's, it's interesting to touch on it from both the macro and micro level. Uh, macro being, you know, as an agency, what's really cool is we're able to see performance across many accounts. Um, if you're focusing on solely one brand, it might be a little more difficult. I mean, you can obviously see different points in your funnel, what's, what's consistently working, maybe it's the same piece. But throughout the agency, we can we can share and pass ideas on, and you start to learn uh, different formats that actually succeed past others, and what's worth putting the time behind. You know, and we say this, and it, tomorrow we could turn around, and the most random thing could work. Um, and I mean, I feel like UGC is a great way to prove us wrong every day. Um, but it's and then on the micro levels, like within each account being able to see the data and see how that comes back and um, leads to that next successful creative. Can you give me an example of a format or something that we've ported across, you know, non-competitive accounts, essentially, um, like a creative concept that's worked well that we've said, hey, let's see if we can apply this to some other clients? Yeah, we actually should link that deck um, that you're talking about earlier, because within that, there's, I think, five concepts or so that we typically put across different accounts. Um, and one of them being like, I think the easiest one would be like a statics, a static ad that uh, is your claims plus your benefits. So you can break it off into whatever, whatever areas you want, but using that whole one by one space to, uh, you, you know, you can break it out into different quadrants. That's typically one that we'll do uh, right off the bat to see if that gains with the, the customer, but it allows us to like put a claim in to say, you know, what's this product about? introduce the product into maybe uh, like a user lifestyle, like show a picture of the product being used, have a claim of the what the product does. And then you can have your call to action or your um, or even like a customer review within that as long as it's it's short, but using your your ads their their full space is just so important with that. I'll give you a rocket there, uh, Eric, on top of what George was saying, if you're ever kind of like down and out your campaigns are suffering, just bang up a uh, founder's story, add and landing page and your account will be revived. What are those five types? Just we, we better rhyme them off. Uh, we will make this available on uh, this download available, but let me just pull them up here. I've got them. Um, we've got UGC, obviously, as a big one. Founder story, that's a great one. The branded user story, uh, where you team up with your customers to get their opinions of your offering. We've got user-generated native content, of course. We've got product plus claims, uh, and then dynamic product ad styles. What are dynamic product ad styles, Cam? You're muted, buddy. I'm going to break down the four types of UGC while we're waiting for Cam. <laughs> Talking to myself <laughs> on mute. Um, it can be whatever you want it to be, but ultimately it's just a way of presenting your offering, your product in like a dynamic way that stands out from the feed on whatever platform that you're on. So using colors, branding, imagery, whatever the hell it is, but your, your single goal is to make it feel more dynamic and stand out from the rest of the stuff that people are digesting. Well, Angela, while you're, you're teed up, might as well give us the four different kinds of user-generated content as well. Yeah, I mean, it's not a complete list, but I think the most important types that you should focus on are testimonial, like real customer testimonial, and just like honest opinion on 
what the product is like so that the viewers at home can experience it through this other person. Product demo, especially good for like, we have fitness clients using like fitness equipment, especially good for stuff like that. Uh, Educational, especially if your product has, if it answers pain points or if it gives solutions. And then probably the most important that's getting used more and more every day is like humor entertainment content. And that is so TikTok focused. But we use that content across all platforms, not just focus on TikTok. Recent podcast listeners will know I've become a TikTok addict recently. And the way that creators blend humor uh, with product placement uh, there is, you know, it's, it's amazing when you can laugh your ass off at something and then realize it was an ad after the fact without even really knowing it. I think that's one of the only platforms where that's possible. I wanted to ask you guys, we've got all of these different creative types where we're asking our clients and our brands to go with us and to trust us that, hey, we're going to try a bunch of different things and we're going we're to continually try a bunch of different things. What are some of the objections we have and how do we overcome those? Like, do we ever get objections that w- with people saying, you know, not giving us the sort of freedom that we want to, to test among all these different creative types? And, and what do we do? Jordan, can we talk about onboarding experience? So Jordan and I, I don't know, we onboarded like 20 accounts this year. You know, we, we learned a lot about, about specifically on the creative side, about how to move quickly in a performance world for branded, branded focused companies. I think that that might, uh, might help set the stage here a little bit. Yeah, it's like any specific point. I know it all comes kind of down to that same flywheel that we use so much, like in, in any way, right? Like you have to be able to create that throughout your, your organization because if they, if they aren't working together. But what was sweet is we were able to really connect with the data um, like day to day. Like Kyle is one to tell you that within a couple hours, depending on the spend, obviously, but within a couple hours, you can tell if an ad's going to work. And it, it just gets to a point where it's almost becoming a game. And then you're seeing how you can kind of for the next creative coming in, how you can change it to make it more interesting for the viewer. Um, or Eric, like just what you touched on, like if you can add humor, if you can entertain, if you can keep that person on for 15 seconds while you're explaining and teaching what the product's about and what the company is, um, or even what your founder story is, I think that's the real way. So this is the question, a question I had sort of had, like how much mining do we do within these specific winning concepts? So like, you get some winning concept right now on D2C, we're showing the ingredients in a burger and we're, you know, we're saying that all different, we're, we're just using an image of a burger. Cause I remember when I used to run affiliate traffic to Groupon, we couldn't beat the burger. We would, and we tried all sorts of different burgers. There's this one burger we couldn't beat. And then we also couldn't find a concept that could dislodge it for a long time as like something really successful. So how much of your, of our creative energies goes into trying to optimize winning concepts versus like trying totally new concepts? Yeah, I mean, it's a great, okay, let's go back to that five, let's say we're going to launch five ads this week. It's it's a great way to test a ratio, right? So always starting in the ad account is number one. And I would go always majority, let's say our first three ads are going to be iterations off of past performers, whether that's iterating off of like, you know, like if you've got that high click-through rate, so you're going to take that intro to what worked. And um, if it's got, let's say, um, super high click, like, you're just going to take the portions that you know are working and make them into something else, some other feature and try and take out what you think really didn't settle with the customer. Let's say nobody clicked through. You're like, okay, well, something didn't bring them through, especially if they watch the full video, right? Which is, is like in our world is, is the dream. 
but yeah, I, I would, I would break it down to kind of like three are my iterations off of top one. One of them will be an idea that maybe the client had or a new angle that we need to try. And one of them will be my, you know, that shot to try and push to the next round of iterations. I'll add to that one. Like, I don't know if there's like a golden ratio within any account, but like one that I often try to push is, you know, somewhere between that, like 70, 30, 80, 20, the larger portion being doubling down on stuff that's working. I feel like it's often overlooked, like the incremental gains that you could found with rather small design choices. Like I, we were working with a watch brand and for whatever reason, like blurry videos were working so well, just take your product, hold it with one hand, get a camera that you can put in manual focus, create a blurry shot and just like wave your camera, your product. That's like, that's it. That's all. And for whatever reason, that thing worked. And all we did was think about, okay, how can we double down on this thing? And we put like, you know, like a small banner across the lower 20% of the frame and put some kind of information pricing, whatever on it. And it just cranked. We spent like, a, I think on that ad, we put like roughly hundred K, but behind that single piece of creative, but it's just a, it's just that like small doubling down uh, that works really well, but I don't know. I feel like the, the smaller piece of the pie is like the sexy part because you're like, oh, what are all these crazy concepts you can test? But you can find such big wins through doubling down on stuff that is working. Can you guys can you guys talk like and you iterate off? That's the other thing, is like our UGC team and chats that up. Not only are we iterating kind of, you know, that 80, 20, 70, 70, 30 on from winners through, um, but like Ange is also iterating on these concepts and embedded with these teams also. So Ange, talk about that a little bit. I just love how you've, how you've been able to, to grow the, the department working with our creative teams. Yeah, I think the important part about like iterating with UGC as well is like we have a longer lead time because we're talking about actually like shipping people products, onboarding new people, like selling your brand to these content creators. And because we have that longer lead time, we got to really be smart about iterations. So we usually ask people to give us, you know, quite a few different pieces of content, like hit a few different pain points, just like mix up the styles they're filming for us so that we're sort of like working way ahead of the ads team to collect this raw content in the first place and to like just increase our chances of success by getting more from them. But also we work with a lot of new brands as well, getting UGC to help them launch, you know, either to scale their campaigns or they just haven't tried UGC before and this is their first time testing that. So not only are we like iterating on pieces of content, but we're also trying to onboard a whole range of different content creators and different customer profiles so that we can like narrow in on who works, like what look works for this brand and what type of content works for them. Eric, I got a question for an iterations too. Yeah, are you telling me this burger thing that's crushing on DTC ads right now is an iteration from back in the day when we were working together? No, this was independent. This was an idea that kind of came up on one of our meetings. I made, gotcha. I think when they brought up the idea, it was like, yeah, let's test that because of this Groupon thing. And yeah, like that, I think it kind of came up independently, but it was confirmed as like, yeah, let's test that because, because of that. that yeah, thing. it's funny. I, I remember like just this idea of scrappy versus polish, like such a funny concept, but it's, it's important. And I think one account was running like a box. It was like an Amazon box or something like that. I forget what it was. And then every account was like, oh, I'm going to test that. And then I think DTC, we were like, oh, why don't we try like 50 different box 
picture variations. And I think like different boxes were hitting and it was like, which box is going to work? Let's flesh out that analogy because it's actually interesting because it drove us a ton of subscriptions, but to be totally transparent, we looked at their engagement and the comments on that particular ad. And it became apparent that people, we were showing Amazon boxes. Then we had an ad text about subscribing to the newsletter. Most people just looked at the Amazon boxes. And for some reason, they assumed that we were going to give them free Amazon boxes. That's what it was. So we got our, our leads really cheap, but when we looked at our engagement, it was super low for those particular campaigns. So that was an interesting learning experience on on where scrappiness can get you yeah. in, you know, if you're not, you know, when you, you know, get you in trouble. You get in trouble as well. And I, I, I just wanted to open the floor a little bit on this whole concept of scrappy because it's something as performance marketers, it's engaged. You know, we want to be able to test things and find the levers that work. And as we know, not always, it's not the most polished things that are going to allow us to work, case in point to the blurry watches. So I just wanted to open the floor and get our team's thoughts on this idea of what scrappy creatives really mean. I just want to preface something before the team goes here. Like Jordan said, it's a variety of creatives that are tested all at once. Super branded, super polished, super nice stuff. Hermes also the, no less. Yeah, exactly. So we do take pride in the work that we're doing. So, you know, scrappy is not garbage clip art. It's just how, how this velocity metric and, and thinking about it that way as the team gets into it here. Yeah, I like scrappy as a mindset, like test everything, come up with ideas and test them quickly and trash them quickly if they don't work. One of the, this came again, I'll, I'll use our D2C experience. We were seeing a lull in our subscriptions and we got Jeff, uh, you know, the other co-founder coming in saying, let's just test a bunch of different creative variations. And from that, we ended up testing using sticky notes, literally just being like things to do, like subscribe to D2C newsletter, learn the most recent performance marketing hacks, profit or whatever. It's just a little like sticky note that we all have around our office. It was super simple to create. We put a little logo in the bottom. Actually, I don't even, I think we left it unbranded even. And that became a winner for a two or three week period. And, and we tested that vein of, and, and so, so that's for us, that's not a, a highly- How many sticky notes did you test, Eric? Once I you found a winner? We found it, we tested dozens of different sticky notes uh, with, with different- <laughs> How funny is that? Yeah. But again, it, they could all be done by our, not even by a designer in this case, these were done by the content manager on his desk, uh, you know, at his office. And it became a really strong concept for us. So in that, that's an example to me where, you know, that really is, that's a scrappy mindset, but it's also fairly scrappy, low budget creatives in our case that worked quite well. And I just think it's very interesting that we have so many brands where we have, we have the whole gamut where we're testing things that are done quickly that have this mindset. We're also testing the most polished branded creatives that we still are able to build in performance aspects. That's something I'm kind of interested in too, as well as we obviously have all of our high-end brands. They're really looking for um, these high-end creatives as well. How do we bake in performance to even the most branded creatives? Just to touch on that. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, you got to look at where, where your ads are being served. Um, who's looking at those ads and how you can get in front of new eyes, right? Because if you're throwing out the exact same style of creative every time, that's fine. You know, like if, if that's your number one goal is just to keep the same exact style, you're, you might not get the, the most conversions. Um, but I think, you know, just this idea of putting the, maybe some more raw content on, even if, even if it's just somebody walking around talking about a product, like let's say scrappy from a UGC side, could be someone just like literally like a mom testing out a laundry strip right there in front of you and then not editing that clip. Maybe you could throw an ender on or whatever um, and getting that in front of the different audience might appeal to someone else's eyes more than let's say you're just scrolling through, you're getting beautiful ads all day 
that's going to be something that maybe you think your friend posted and you can trust it a little more, which is what the intention is, right? Is to, to get people to trust you as a brand and get them to, and that's why we have UGC as a whole, because it works so well at getting people to see how the product actually works. And it's like a combination, you know, maybe that scrappy UGC may not work as well at bottom of funnel. Like maybe once you've had the awareness through one of these videos that really is eye-catching and, and raw, and then maybe it will take a more branded, polished creative after the fact in the retargeting pool. Do we ever break these things out or do we just sort of let the algorithm figure it out as to where to use these creatives in the funnel? Oh, I'm always game to test everything everywhere, but I know there's a lot of buyers that would say, say different things. Um, but I think you can, like, I personally have seen ads work at top of funnel and bottom of funnel and middle of funnel. Like it, no matter where you are in the journey, I think an ad can stick out and stand to a different customer, but I'll let Cam or Kyle kind of touch more into that. Yeah. I think the longer you interact with a customer, the more you need to either like increase motivation or like decrease the friction to purchase. And you can do that obviously a million different ways. And I think you could, you could probably make an argument that the first impression that you serve a customer should be really polished and look really good because you're building trust in the brand. And you could probably make an argument the other way that actually the first impression should be whatever gets the click because that's ultimately what matters the most. So I don't think there's one strategy that trumps another, but whatever your strategy is, you need to figure out what it is that is ultimately going to be of interest to your customer to get them to engage with you and your product. And then once you do get their engagement, now figure out how you can communicate to them better. And it just comes down to how you do that visually. Yeah, I think like top of funnel, it needs to be like interesting and unexpected, no matter what creative you're doing. I think that's where this like humor entertainment style UGC comes into play the best and then like further down the funnel you need more like educational content or like product demos or explainers trying to more like sell them on the features later on that's why I love pilot house because it's like all these great great minds just bashing ideas around because everything you guys said is is right there's not one right answer and what I think for me on the BD end of things it's like this idea of alignment, you've heard me say this on this cast before, if you're, if you're a regular listener, but like what brands might want to understand is their, their vision of brand, but also understand their vision of performance because those thresholds, what I find change, it's like, I want lots of sales and I'm like, okay, cool. Let's make you lots of sales. Let's start right in the middle on your brand and creative. Oh, I don't like that. It's off brand. I'm like, well, it's, it's basically on brand. It's just got an extra shadow or something like that, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, can we test it? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, I'll run yours. Hey, that didn't work as well. Can I go this way a little bit now? And that conversation and what often happens is over a six month, a 12 month and 18 month engagement, they're running both. They're running, we're running super high polished stuff, but we're running the super super other ended stuff, which is like, and they're all working together. And then we'll go even further and add, you know, different brands in different ad accounts, which are supporting the same, same product promotion, provide that third party validation alongside Angie's UGC. So the most important thing for me as a brand is like, yes, this is my brand being okay with experimentation. You can still have scrappy creative that is brand friendly, brand safe and of high quality and design that does the same effect of getting lower cost clicks to feed that funnel. Um, Cause if they're not, if you don't have both really, then it's almost expected now you, you kind of need both. You need both ends to make it work. And if you can do that right, you're actually getting different audiences 
because the younger audience is going to be more savvy. They're going to want the brand and stuff. They want the UGC stuff. An older audience, you know, they want some clicky stuff maybe. And so it just depends how hard you want to scale, how fast you want to go. So blah, 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 blah. Long story short, brands need to kind of establish, are they all brand? Are they all performance? Are they in the middle somewhere? And be okay with that decision and be clear about it. Yeah, <laughs> and you would agencies. propose that they that they do straddle that. I think it's safe to say that that's really where we think is probably best for the long term and that, that you you have this strong yeah. brand presence and that you still can play jazz and, and really yeah. try to drive those those performance uh, numbers. Yeah, I think Jordan and Cam are leading the like, the studio, uh, which is like not tied to actually us media buying. We're actually building creative for brands now. And they've, they've been scaling it up quite quickly. What are you guys launching with? Like, what do those packages look like? And then talk a little bit about how, why you came to those, those concepts as an offering for these guys. Yeah. It, you know, kind of based it off of three main ideas. It's how fast are you willing to scale is with the big question, uh, at the start of it, Good way um, it. depending it, essentially that is it, right? It's what's your budget at. Um, because we can offer you any sort of creative, creative, static, or video within that. Um, and then we start at, you know, there's the small tier of like, are you testing out? And then we kind of grow for our packages from there, depending on what kind of creative velocity you're looking at. Pilehouse, if we, if we bought our own packages, we're always on the far end because we're just trying to push as much content out as possible. And I strongly agree with that as well from studio side is like, because how else are you going to be able to find those winners fast enough? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's kind of cool. Like you got, you got a whole online world that you can test so cheaply yet. We still throw so much money away, not doing that with our ego involved because something might be appealing to us, which, you know, might not be very appealing to your mom, your brother, or your friend. Um, and I, I laugh because we got, we got some flyers in our mail for uh, an upcoming election. And I'm like, how much better could they have done on this advertisement that we just take from the mailbox and put into the recycling bin if they would have tested something online to see you know, what, what gets that eye first? Um, and then you're not having to waste the resources in between that. But it's just, it's just using your medium and your ability to test at a high velocity is so key to being able to find those successful ads faster. It goes back to that equation, what we talked about in the first like five minutes, whatever, you know, data plus quality plus speed equals velocity. If you're a brand owner, you're an agency, whoever, if you need content, like it comes down to those are three pillars in which velocity is built on top of. If you have a weak leg, whatever of those three aspects, like that's where we want to help you, right? We create content, high quality content or scrappy content, whatever you think your account needs, we can do that at a high velocity. So if one of the legs on your stool is broken, like that's where we're here to help. And people should go to pilothouse.co and fill out a contact form uh, if they would like to work with the Pilot House Creative Brain Trust. I think Ange has some special stuff going on too. So a little plug for her on the UGC side. Um, Tell us about it, Angela. What special stuff do you have going on? Yeah, well, I think brands need to start thinking about sourcing UGC now if they're planning on having that be an important part of their Q4. Like I said, there's longer lead time, so we need to start planning now for you. And we do have some, we're trying to get as many clients, you know, like locked and loaded for Q4 as we can. So I can offer some special pricing if you get in touch with us, like over the summer, if you want to go to pilothouse.co slash UGC. 
I just had a question that came up, Angela, about UGC, because we're doing this. Every time I do a podcast now with uh, external guests, I ask them to give me a testimonial if they love the newsletter. And so we're going to cut those into like a super cut of UGC testimonials. Is that something that works well with clients where we actually get a bunch of the best performing UGC and mash it up into sort of a, a highlight reel? Yeah, I think so. It's just like proving that, you know, hundreds of people love your product. Like it's not only uh, social proof from one person, it's social proof you know, from what, however many you have, uh, like we have some new food based companies. I want to make a bunch of mashups of people's like first impression, what everyone says it tastes like things like that. Like it's just more reinforcement, um, for the brand in, you know, whatever, 30 seconds. And it's a way to potentially add a little more polish, right? Cause then you're with, with that mashup, you're going to be adding your end caps and your front caps. And if you're not just going with a raw UGC, you actually have it a bit edited. That's a way to maybe up that polish factor a little bit to test. Yeah. And it's usually like really high energy, like the most exciting clips. It's going to hold people's attention. Um, yeah. I like mashups for sure. Gotta so you got to collect a bunch. You got to get someone putting content. their hand on the camera too. That's what I'm learning from TikTok. You got to get someone boom. So everyone put their hand to the camera and say, peace out. See everyone. Peace. Thanks guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.